Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. Our listener support campaign continues. You can become one of our one-time supporters uh, through sending a donation by mail to Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913-15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. And you can become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Just go to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for this week's episode of The Silent Men. The original air date is November the 11th, 1951, and the title is Transatlantic Push. Alger's High Adventure with The Silent Men on NBC. The Silent Men, starring Douglas Fairbanks, Jr. The National Broadcasting Company proudly presents Douglas Fairbanks in The Silent Men. Transcribed stories of the undercover operations of the special agents of every branch of our federal government and their relentless fight against crime. This is Douglas Fairbanks. The wealth and the security of a nation depend not only on physical strength, but on the soundness and value of its currency. The American dollar is the soundest piece of money in the world, but because of its value, it has been the target of men of evil purpose. Men who would destroy it or use it to attain wealth through counterfeiting. That their success has been small and limited is a blessing to us. A blessing guarded by a handful of men who have one major purpose in life. The protection of this government and its citizens. These men are the special agents of our federal government. Tonight, with your permission, I again play the role of one of them. Special Agent Ben Jarrett in the file case entitled The Transatlantic Push. <laughs> From the beginning, it was obvious that this was not an ordinary case. This one started at the top in Washington, D.C., in the office of James J. Maloney, chief of the division. Come in, Ben. Hi, chief. How'd you know it was me? The guard called that you were on your way up. Oh. Secretaries are all out to lunch. Sit down, Ben. Thanks. How are you? How are things in the Dallas office? Hot. <laughs> But quiet. <laughs> we can do something about the quiet part. I'm bringing Al White in from the San Francisco office. We'll work together. Uh, take a look at these, Ben. Mm-hmm. Counterfeit, huh? Yes. Queer stuff. Yeah. Look at them. Hmm. President Grant didn't photograph too well in those 50s here. A little too much yellow in the color of the seal and six of the eight serial numbers out of line. Otherwise, not a bad job. The hundreds are even better. Except for the same color on the seal and the numbers being out of line on the serial. Any lead on who's doing the pushing? Uh, take a look at the chart on the wall. 
Mm-hmm. Counterfeits of foreign origin. Where'd you get this batch? A woman named Lenya Veronsky, displaced person. Came in from Europe two days ago. She was picked up in New York yesterday when she tried to use these to open a bank account. Well, if she knew the bills were queer, she wouldn't go to a bank. You're right. She didn't know. She bought the bills in the black market in Europe. Her whole life savings, Ben. Oh. It wasn't easy to slam the counterfeit stamp across the face of those bills. Not when the woman has a number tattooed on her arm. Concentration camp? One of the worst. Buchenwald. Ugh. And that's the type of person being victimized. Oh. They come here with a stake to start a new life. And we have to take it away from them because it's counterfeit. Where do I start, Jim? The woman's in the detention room. You'd better see her. Detention room, please. Hello. This is Maloney. Uh, send Mrs. Veronsky to my office, please. Thanks. One thing occurs to me, Jim. How do we know the queer isn't being printed here and shipped overseas for unloading? We've checked the stock. Oh. No paper of this type being milled in the United States. Now, the same goes for the ink they're using. Any line on the point of origin? The paper, France or Spain. Mm -hmm. The ink, Italy. That's all. I see. Well, I'd better note that. Oh, uh, come in, Mrs. Veronsky. Thank you. This is Mr. Jarrett. Sit down, please, Mrs. Vronsky. It is all right. Oh, it's, it's all right. This is the man I wanted you to see. Now, you tell Mr. Jared where you got the money. In Paris, before I come here, I have two sons. We, we all work to come to America. My other son and two daughters and my husband, they... They are dead. Would you like some water, Mrs. Vronsky? No, no, I am all right. Me and my, my last two children, we say. Then one day they say I can come here on the... the uh, Quota. Yeah. Hmm. But my boys, they must wait, so... A man changes our money for American money, and, and I come... Now you say the money is not good. Mrs. Vronsky, uh, do you know the name of the man who sold you this money? No. He was short. He has no hair. He's happy and laughing. Laughing. That is all I know. Laughing. Thank you, Mrs. Vronsky. Please wait in the next office. I'll see you again. Ben, we've got to smash this transatlantic push. Miss Hennick is preparing letters for you and Al White to police authorities in France, Spain, and Italy. When do we leave? As soon as Al White gets here. Now, when you get to Paris, check with Chief Inspector Francois Poiret of the French Sûreté. Right, Poiret. Uh, speak any French? Uh, it depends on your point of view. My high school teacher said no. <laughs> well, this looks like a big, well-organized gang, Ben. That means they'll play rough. After seeing that woman, I hope they do, Jim. I hope they do. Len 
Landing at Le Bourget Airfield in Paris was nothing to distinguish Al White and me from the vacationing Americans and businessmen who stepped from Flight 950. I liked working with Al. He was five foot eight and tipped the scales at a stocky 180. His face was round and guileless, and in straw hat and white apron, he, he wouldn't seem out of place behind the meat counter of an American chain store. Federal penitentiaries are full of men who thought he looked stupid. <laughs> well, we took a rickety French taxi from the field to an inconspicuous hotel, and within an hour, we're in consultation with Inspector Poiret of the Surete. Here are the first one of your files. That's our word for counterfeit gentlemen. I hope there is something that will be of help. Do you have a special group specializing in foreign currency, Inspector? Uh, these. English pounds, American dollars. Well, they are small operators, though. The big rings, they are evasive. And we've had so many other internal problems. Uh, one cannot hope to keep up with them all. Huh? Well, what do you think, Al? I don't know, Ben. On the back of the records are clipped samples of the counterfeit currency. Fives, tens, and ones. And so phony, a good police dog could spot them. Yeah. Besides, these men have been caught. We're looking for the ones who haven't been caught. Here, Inspector, you take a look at one of our samples here. Hmm. Most professional. Good enough to get by almost any place this side of the ocean. And will you leave this with me so I may direct my men? Sure. We'd better see what we can stir up in the black market, Al. Yeah. Goodbye, Inspector. Au revoir. Hey, wait a minute, Ben. Inspector. Wait. Uh, yes? That file of queer pushers, uh, excuse me, counterfeiters, any of the gangs in there made up of Italians as well as French? What's your angle, Al? Just a thought. The chief said the ink came from Italy. No, I'm afraid not. Look, Ben, a big gang... And this must be big. It doesn't spring up overnight. It, it grows. It could be a post-war gang, but it's just as likely one that started during the war. Maybe before. Well, that figures. They're old-line counterfeiters, all right, but pushing queer American is a new branch for them. What did they do before? Well, that's stabbing in the dark, Al. Maybe, but American counterfeiters had a sideline during the war. Remember the Memphis case? Rationing coupons? They had rationing here, didn't they? How about that, Inspector? But of course. There was much counterfeiting of Russian certificates. Any of the counterfeiters Italian? There was one group. Some Frenchmen, some Sicilian. Jackpot? Looks that way. Recall any of the details, Inspector? Well, the operation was large. They were apprehended, but uh, the evidence was meager. The jail term's not long. What has happened to them, I do not know. Where was their base of operations? A printing establishment in the 8th arrondissement. Owned by one uh, Georges Corbin. He was a member of the ring. But since then, he has married and maintained a reputation. Georges Corbin, printer, 8th arrondissement. We better pay him a visit, Ben. Somebody coming. Nous aimons parler avec um, Georges Corbin. Pourquoi? Que voulez-vous? What's she saying? Wants to know why we want to see him. You are English? Well, this we can all understand. No, we're Americans. Why are you after Georges? What makes you say 
after him. Nothing. I, I do not know. He is not here. Please, go away. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you Corbin's wife? We, oui. Yes. I think you'd better talk to us, Mrs. Corbin. You may save your husband a lot of trouble. Come in. Now, where is he? I do not know. His shop has been closed for some time. The other storekeepers in the arrondissement say they haven't seen him for months. He, he's away. Where? I do not know. That is why I am frightened. How long has he been gone? Five months. And you don't know where? I can tell you nothing. You were sent by the police. If I tell you, Georges will be killed. Killed by who? The man who took him away. Please, leave me. If she's leveling, Corban may have been snatched. Poor A said he quit the game. Maybe they came back and got sore when he wouldn't play. They need a press and an engraver, and he's worked with them before. I hate to do this, but we haven't got much choice. Mrs. Corbin, if your husband was taken away five months ago and you don't know where he is, how do you know he hasn't already been killed? I have had letters. During the war, your husband was a counterfeiter of rationing certificates. He does nothing wrong since then. Maybe not. But the men who took him away were the same men he worked for before, weren't they? He did not want to go there. They forced him. Mrs. Corbin, we believe that. So if you want to protect your husband, you'd better talk. Those men are counterfeiting American money. They may turn out all they can handle and then quit. Then they will release George. To be a witness against them? They'll kill him unless we can get to him before they quit. Oh, no, no. He's right, Mrs. Corbin. You'd better let us see where those letters came from. But they come from all over. I will show you. From, from Chabot, La Havre, Marseille, Toulon, even from Paris. I was afraid of that. Yeah, they're smart. No one point to go to. The pushers are mailing the letters from all points as they fan out to spread the queer. Mrs. Corbin, do you know any of the men who took your husband? I never saw them. They came one night when we were sleeping. Georges got up. They argued. And one of them struck him. He came in to me and said that he had to go to the shop to give them something. What thing? I don't know. For printing. They brought Georges back again. He came in to me and said he must go with them. But I must say nothing or they would... I tried to stop him. But he pushed me away. I ran into the street and I saw them driving off in a truck. You say the men never saw you? Just one of them. Once in the dark. He came in with George. Then he wouldn't recognize no, you? No, no, no. Thinking of a stakeout, Al? Well, if she'll go for it, it might work, Ben. Worth a try. Mrs. Corbin, we may be able to help your husband if you'll help us. What do you want me to do? Inspector Poiret of the Surete will arrange a fake passport for you under another name. We'll supply you with half a million francs to do some shopping in the black market. Shopping? For what? Counterfeit American money. You'll say you're going to America and you want to change the francs for American dollars. Will you do it? I don't want to be brutal, but it may be your husband's only chance. We. Oui. I will do it. <laughs> With the help of Inspector Poiret and his men, Al and I arranged a stakeout in the black market areas of Paris, the back alleys behind the Hotel Georges V, the winding streets of Montmartre. Men of the French Surete were planted unobtrusively in the crowd, always one of them within a few feet of Madame Georges Corbin as she tried to make contact. Occasionally, genuine American currency turned up, or inferior counterfeits of small denomination. But none of the counterfeit fifties and hundreds with the serial numbers out of line, until... 
Late one afternoon, we moved the stake out to the Boulevard Clichy, just off the Rue de la Paix. She's made a contact, Ben. Doorway of the florist shop. Take a look, Inspector. You know the man? Hmm? We. Oui. He was one of the ones with the rationing certificates. Gunder. Uh-huh. Small fry pusher, eh? Look, she's taking the shawl off her head. It's the bills we're looking for. Shall I signal my men to make the seizure? No, no. Put a tail on him. Pardon? I have a man following. We don't want him. We want the men we were printing the queer. Ah. The transaction has been completed. Les sœurs, prenez deux hommes avec vous. Suivez-lui. Jean-Henri avec lui. I've assigned three men. They will report his actions. I'll be right back. What's up? The pusher ditched some sort of paper in the doorway. I'm going to go get it. You seem disappointed, Monsieur Jared. The contact. I was hoping it might be Laughing Boy. Huh? Laughing Boy? A uh, pusher who's happy about his work. He enjoyed giving some queer money to a woman who deserved a better break. We'll find him, though, later. Monsieur, did I do the right thing? You are fine, Madame Corbin. Let's see the money. Yeah. They are the ones you seek? Yeah, yes. Too much yellow, serial numbers out of line. Uh, it's the push, all right. That the merchandise, Ben? Yes, yeah. What did you find? This envelope. The one he carried the money in. Uh, what does post restant mean? General delivery. Let's have a look. Hmm. To Antoine Restore, post restant, Montmartre, Paris. From Joseph Perfetti, post restant, Marseille. This was mailed from the Bureau de Poste of the Opera Quartier to Marseille. Well, then the source may be in Marseille. The queer is mailed from there to the pushers. We'd better get down there. Inspector, can you arrange for a postal watch in Marseille? We can follow a story from there if he comes to pick up his mail. And the sorting clerks can let us know the destination of anything he sends out. Let it go through and pick up the pushers at the receiving end. It shall be arranged. I go to Marseille with you. Marseille. An ancient city, beautiful and treacherous, with the sacred Notre-Dame de la Garde only a matter of steps from the sloping, twisted alleys and back streets of the old town, where murder might stand waiting in the shadow of a doorway. For days, Al White and I stood behind a torn curtain, looking through the grimy window of a cheap rooming house, waiting for a signal from one of the changing groups of surete men lounging about the bureau de poste. Then, finally, it came. A lounger dropped his newspaper, stretched lazily, and moved slowly after a man in a red beret. There it is, Ben. Ristori picked up his mail. Good. Let's go. We took over from the Surete, following Antoine Ristori in and out of the winding streets, keeping out of his sight as he made his way through the maze of the old town quarter, veering south off the Boulevard des Dames. Sometimes the red beret was just a flash of color seen for a split second as we turned into one street, while Restori slipped into another. But we never lost it. Then, on the Rue de la Neuf, Restori disappeared into the cafe at number 41. Do we go in? No, no. We'd better wait. He might have gone in for a drink, unless that's the base of operations. I doubt it. A cheap cafe in a section like this means trouble. They wouldn't keep a printing press where the gendarmes might be visiting. Well, that figures... But there's no spot for a Rolls Royce, either. And there's the back of one sticking out of the alley next to the place. My story might be keeping a rendezvous with a top man. Hmm. License number 9552CA7. Look, I'll stay here and keep an eye on Restori. 
We passed a hotel in the last street. Must be a phone there. Maybe poor A can get a line on the owner of that car. Good idea. I'll call him. It'll be dark in half an hour. Poirier can meet us here with some men. Make sure you get a complete on the owner of the rolls. You can't buy those pushing tin foil. No. Inspector. Over here, in the doorway. Is the story still there? Yeah. Two hours now. There may be a back door, you know. I cased it. Leads into a blind alley by the car. I'd have to see him. Incidentally, what about the car, Inspector? Very interesting. It is registered to one André Selvini, who also owns the cafe. Monsieur Selvini has blossomed forth recently as a man of wealth, dealing in real estate. What kind of real estate? A few more establishments like the one we watch, but also a magnificent home in the country, an old chateau in the pine forest near the village of Cabri. Country estate, huh? Not a bad place to print the queer, Ben. You know the location, Inspector? Uh, unfortunately, no. There are many such properties in the Cabri area. It could be one of 20 or more. Well, then the way to get there is to let Ristori and Salvini take us there. They might not talk, Al, and if we grab them, the rest of the gang might split. Yeah, but if we try to grab them and miss, they'll head right for their equipment and move to another spot. We'd have to start all over from scratch. Obviously, you have considered a way to prevent such a move, Monsieur White. What is your plan? You and I go in, then. Ah, the cafe becomes lively. Yeah. All right, we uh, go in. Then what? When we get in, Inspector Poiret can block off this area. When the rumpus starts, grab everyone who comes out on foot. But don't stop that car. What we want to know is where it goes. But it would be impossible to follow it. I do not have the vehicles to cover all avenues of exit from this quarter. Well, you won't have to. Station three cars along the highway near Cabri. Unmarked, no official cars. One 15 miles this side of the town, one ten, one five. That's sound. They'll know they're not followed when they get clear of here, and they won't be leaning too hard on that gas pedal when they get near Cabri. Your men can follow it from there, then, in relays, until they spot where the car turns off. We can follow and move in. If you leave the cafe alive, monsieur, perhaps a few of my men... Uh, too many would tip it. He's right, Inspector. We'll take it alone. When the trouble starts, blow a couple of whistles up the street, but don't close in until the car is gone. Come on, Al. Let's go. Well, wow. And good fortune. Red beret at the corner table. Restory. Yeah. Two others with him. Which one is Salvini? Take the table next to them. Um, Gaston de Quantro. Boy, the man who pushed that money over on the DP we saw in Washington. He's looking at us. Uh, uh, you stare at me, monsieur? Oh, do not mind me. I am always, how you say, a happy one. Uh, you uh, are Americans, no? That's right, laughing boy. Oh, <laughs> voila! He makes a 
A nickname for me, you will? A <laughs> laughing boy. <laughs> I like the name, monsieur. Work on him. Uh, what's your real name? Andre Salvini? Come on. No, no. I am Jean Paul de Perrotte, my companion. Ferme la bouche, Jean. <laughs> Pourquoi? Que voulez-vous, monsieur? He wants to know what we want, Al. Tell the man. We're looking for counterfeiters of United States currency. The three of you are under arrest. So, I am arrest, no? The men moved towards us in grim silence. Half a dozen of them. It looked like we'd bitten off more than we could chew. The fight started and some of them fought Sabat. A murderer's hand-to-foot attack of the underworld of Pash. We had to get a signal outside. I broke loose and threw a bottle at the window. As it hit, I turned just in time to see a Sabat kick catch Al White under the chin. He sagged to the floor, unconscious. And at the same moment, a Sabat kick caught me in the stomach. And I dropped, feeling a sickening pain as Poiré's men signaled their approach. Shut them! Leave them! To the car! Where's Al White? My men took him to the hospital. Oh. <coughs> How bad? He was unconscious. Mm. Concussion, possibly. His face will need stitches. Oh. Uh, they fight Savat with metal clips on the heel. Yeah. Our friends get away all right? Yes. I will drop you off for medical attention, too. And then I will proceed to Cabri. Oh, I'm all right. I'm going with you. If anything happens to Al White, I'll stay here until every one of them hangs. My car is outside. It is equipped with wireless. You are sure? I'm sure. Let's go, Inspector. Sure this is the place? The limousine is at the rear of the house. There is also a truck. It came shortly after the limousine. It was being loaded. Then the equipment is here. Let them load it. Less chance of them destroying any of it. Uh, a truckload of evidence. I wish we could do something about that dog. I've sent a man who has a way with animals. He will be quiet shortly. Lester. How well have your men got the place covered? Guns and lights have been placed at strategic spots. We command all possible avenues of escape. Got a machine gun at each entrance of the driveway with spotlights? Oui. Thirty men of the Brigade Mobile. They're well armed. There is the end of Monsieur Dog. Good. Now, if they'll move, we can... They come. You command here. I go to the other side. All right. The spotlight. Fire a burst over the truck. Brigade Mobile, close in on the house. Very fine coup, Monsieur Jared. Your government will be most happy. Well, they'll be happy to see these counterfeit plates. Georges Corbin was pretty clever. Mm. This numbering machine only carried six digits, and the bills needed eight. So he engraved the first two on a lithograph stone, just a little too low, deliberately, so the machine numbers wouldn't line up with them. It was the easiest thing to spot. I'm glad he was not injured. Mm. 
And you will be glad to know that uh, Monsieur White is recovering. Which is more than we can say for Laughing Boy and Salvini. You don't recover from being dead. Well, <laughs> Restore and the others will make a most impressive trial. Don't forget, we've a few to add yet. Keep this quiet until we pick up the pushers at the various post-restants when they call for their mail. It will be attended. But when it is over, you have also done us a service. There should be appropriate honors. No, no, thanks, Inspector. You take them. We're well paid for our jobs. Well paid? In America, the law enforcement agents receive much money? <laughs> I wasn't thinking of money, Inspector. No, not money. This is Douglas Fairbanks again. The stopping of the transatlantic push closes another chapter in the distinguished chronicle of our silent men, the special agents of all branches of our federal government who daily risk their lives to protect the lives of all of us. Next week, we will tell you a story involving narcotics and the Far East in the file case entitled Heroin Source X, another venture undertaken for our protection by... The Silent Men. The Silent Men is produced by Warren Lewis. Tonight's transcribed case was written by Joel Murcott and directed by Walter McGraw. All names and places were fictional. Featured in tonight's cast were John Gibson, Rock Rogers, Ruth York, Joe DeSantis, and William Keane. This is Fred Collins speaking. Douglas Fairbanks may currently be seen in the motion picture Mr. Drake's Duck. Listen again next week and every week to other exciting cases involving the law enforcement adventures of the special agents of our federal government. For they are the silent men. It's the Silver Jubilee on NBC, Monday. Welcome back. Uh, well, uh, some nice uh, writing there. If you want to get the audience uh, totally against your villains and understanding why they're so evil, you just open up with the fact that the uh, criminals uh, cheated a Holocaust victim out of her life savings and make that person somebody who laughs a lot. And you're definitely there with Ben Garrett in wanting to have these guys just absolutely nailed to the wall. So good job on that. It was interesting when they introduced his uh, partner uh, that they actually even talked about his height, which is, you know, I, unusual over radio but I think in that case it may have just been that the voice of the actor may have uh, caused some people to not take him seriously as a treasury agent because that agent could be a bartender as well as the profession they mentioned in the episode he could be a bartender at a place called the Blue Note and I've heard quite a few of uh, Gibson's roles and Ethelbert is kind of on the extreme end but most of the characters he plays are you know at most just kind of Joe Schmo characters 
which, you know, are not the typical things that uh, people would associate with a uh, treasury agent. They have expectations of how they'll sound. And Gibson's voice just didn't seem to go to that sort of stereotypical range. So we get this introduction in which they don't try to work against our picture of him that we might have when we hear that voice. They're like, yeah, he really does just look like Joe Schmo, but he knows uh, what he's talking about. And once the episode gets going, John Gibson does absolutely fine because technically having like this sort of you know really cool deep voice is not actually a requirement for being a treasury agent so once they get us past our preconceived notions we're good and we just have a good uh, adventure where the bad guys are appropriately routed well i do want to go ahead and thank our patreon supporter of the day and I want to go ahead and thank Eugene. Eugene has been one of our Patreon supporters since March of 2016, currently supporting us at the Master Detective level of $15 or more per month. Well, that will do it for today. If you've been enjoying this podcast, uh, I do encourage you to rate it wherever you uh, listen to and download the podcast. And if you want to write a five-star review, we certainly uh, welcome and appreciate those. Join us back here tomorrow for our final listener support special. And then uh, we'll be back on Monday with uh, John Gibson in his accustomed role on Casey Crime Photographer. And then next Saturday, we'll be back with another episode of The Silent Men. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.